I get the privilege of finishing a three-week teaching series this morning called When Pigs Fly. And last week, Pastor Davey, didn't he do a phenomenal job looking at Matthew or Mark 5, verses 1 through 10, talking about the transformation that happens in the demoniac man's life. And so we're going to wrap it up here this morning by looking at uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. So if you want to power on your Bibles or turn on the one in your book rack to Mark chapter 5, I'm going to get there in just a moment. If you're new to the story of what's happening here, uh, this man had been in pain, suffering under the possession of this legion of demons for a number of years, so much so the local people in the town nearby, which was an area known where the Gentiles, the non-Christians, the non-Jewish people lived. In fact, there was something called the Decapolis there, which was these 10 cities that the Roman Empire had instituted that brought Roman culture there that most of them were not God-fearing places. And yet Jesus, at the end of Mark chapter four, loaded up the boat with the disciples, didn't go port to port, went across the lake, which you didn't do because the storms could capsize your boat. God uh, demonstrated his power through Jesus by saving them from the storm. And they go across to the place where most likely they've been hearing this man who has literally been chained up, living outside the, the town, crying out day and night. They go over there, to lead uh, him out of that life, to redeem him and to transform him. And it's radical what happened last week. And then we get to verse 14, after this man has had a radical life change and the Lord is gonna transform his life and then he's gonna challenge him to go out and tell people about what he's done. And what I wanna share with you this morning is, we've had a little thing about uh, when pigs fly every single week. This week, the, the title is, I'll go and tell of what Jesus has done when pigs fly. Because some of you, you have been Christian for a decade or more, some of you many decades, and you have never told anybody about the faith that you have in Christ. You've never led someone to the Lord. And this morning is not about shame or guilt over that. It's the reality that most American Christians, that's our testimony. And in this passage, if you are like, I would never become one of those people who really sees the Lord use them to impact other people, to go and tell as this man will, I want to challenge that way of thinking. Uh, You remember when you first became a Christian? For those of you who are Christian. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I was 19 years old. And most of you know my story, but I had joined the fraternity house. And I was doing the things that people in fraternity houses do. And I was pretty far from God in my life. And I had this radical life change where I encountered him. And I went from like throwing the parties or participating in them to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. And I had some pretty radical life change that happened over that time. And I remember that summer going home and to one of my lifelong friends, I I could not wait to share about what Jesus had done in my life. I still remember, man, we were like driving out in the countryside and his truck and he was driving and I began to talk to him about what Jesus had done in my life. It was like the first time, like I took that step of faith and like I laid it all out there. I was like, he redeemed me. I'm going to heaven when I die. I want you to go with me, man. We're going to be there. We're going to be in heaven together. You need to give your life to Jesus right now. So as he was driving the truck, he got down on his knees there in the truck. No, he didn't do that. He's driving the truck. He He didn't give his life to Christ. There was no radical life change that happened. And I was like, I must have done it wrong. 
And I remember at that moment, I got this feeling like, I don't know if I ever want to do that again. And I think that fear is what often keeps many of us as followers of Jesus from sharing his good news of going and telling what he has done. And I want to address some of that this morning. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on now. It says in verse 14 of chapter five, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They weren't like, oh, sweet, look what he did. He, he saved this guy. No, like most of them, they're scared of the change that comes with it. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, which makes sense, right? He wants to get away from the people that have literally been putting him in chains for years. And look what happens here. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell. Go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the godless people, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I'm going to tell you this morning that uh, this has been somewhat of a convicting message for me and that I believe that most of us in this room, if we really understood the power and authority of Jesus his, his heartfelt desire for us, how he wants to use us to impact the world and the desperate nature that we find ourselves in today in Western society. We would literally see our state transformed and this thing we're praying about tonight would literally happen, but it's never gonna happen if we don't understand his value for us, how he's empowered us and how he transforms us. And that's the heart of what I wanna share. The main idea, you are valued and empowered by God. And you may not feel like you're one of those good Christians or that you're far from God or you've got this addictive habit or you've got this thing with pornography or you've got this thing that you can't stop drinking. You've got this problem in your life and you feel like because of something you did in your past you'll never become this. I want to tell you those lies from the pit of hell that we're going to erase them this morning. We're going to call out to God. And just like the demoniac man who was filled with a legion of demons, if he could be transformed and made in his right mind and be used by the Lord, I know he could use you. Will you pray with me? God, I know that life is short and we only get so many opportunities to be used by you this side of heaven. And just, I, I got to pause, God, because I know we were singing the song about that you can make a dead man walk again, that your power and authority is for today. And we've had a couple of hard things in our family of churches this week. Jerry Bradley, God, right now is in a coma in the hospital a young woman had a heart attack and her 11-year-old daughter is without her mom right now and we pray that her brain activity would respond to commands and that she would get full faculties back, completely healed from the heart attack in every way, shape, or form and live for decades to come serving you in all that she does. Please, Jesus. And then for the young woman that was here for one of the first times last weekend and found out she passed away, she went to lunch with some of the people in our church last week. 
And we cry out to her family and friends, and we, we pray for your help and assistance, Lord, that you'd be with them, and that what seems like the enemy meant for evil, somehow, some way, you could use it for good and your purposes. What we're talking about this morning, sharing our faith, going and telling matters, Jesus. Use us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you can't tell, I'm pretty passionate about what I'm going to share this morning. And I got done with the first service and I felt like I could have gone on for another hour. So I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Praise Jesus. But I do want to uh, emphasize how important I believe that this is. Because I find that sometimes kids get these things better than we do. You know, uh, you guys know my, my kids. I got a, a sixth grader and a second grader, and I've got a preschooler who is five years old. And the preschooler, he has been, well, if I'm going to say it kindly, a lot of fun the last year or two. And uh, just recently, uh, he, like, we thought he'd run away from home. Turns out he didn't. He was hiding in the bushes for a half an hour while my wife was crying, talking to the police on the phone. And because he thought mom wanted to take him somewhere and he didn't want to go, he wanted to play outside. Well, this week we had some more fun happen where uh, he, he decided normally like a few a couple years ago, he would just carry around a blankie all the time. He's a little shy. He likes to suck that thumb right off his hand. You know, that's just kind of how he even still has the blankie to this day, but he's been kind of growing up in the world. So he decided uh, this week he found something he was really passionate about, a box of rocks, like literally, that's what he was excited about. He found this box when we had been on vacation a, a year or so ago up in Michigan, and we collected these rocks. He found this box of rocks. He was really excited about the rocks. So excited, he decided that he was going to start selling them for a business. So he got this cardboard box, and he wrote uh, rocks and then sell $1 on the box. Except he wrote it in like an ink pen, so like if you were really close, you could still couldn't really read it because it was a preschool handwriting. So no one had any idea what the box really said, but he took the box and he would go stand out by the sidewalk and when cars passed by, he'd do this. <laughs> and then he would get mad that they wouldn't stop. And so he thought, well, it's with these jerks in our neighborhood. Then he decided, well, I got to take this to the next level. He was very passionate about selling the rocks. In fact, he had taken all the rocks. I'm not making this up. He put them in a line, you know, like little boys do sometimes, all along uh, this wooden plank. And he would come over and he'd go, look at all the rocks, Dad. <laughs> he goes, and then he literally told me, he goes, I'm going to sell them all. I'm going to be rich, Dad. I'm going to be rich. And so he took, then, then he also decided he was going to up the ante. He was really excited about selling the rocks. So then he discovered that some of them, when you put them in water, they kind of change colors a little bit. So those were $2 now. Then he decided uh, they're not reading the box. So I'm going to go around the neighborhood. And he would wa started walking around the neighborhood, unbeknownst to his mom and dad, going door to door with his box. But he didn't take the rocks with them because those were heavy. So he went door to door with just a cardboard box that no one could re read, saying something about, come over to my house, I got a bunch of rocks I want to sell you. And it kind of hit me, like, what is, Jay, Jet's really growing up in the world. Like, he used to be so shy, and now he's going around trying to sell rocks to people. And, and, you know, I was kind of thinking, it's kind of a cute story, whatever, but it, it hit me, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking a little bit to myself. My five-year-old is more excited about telling people about his box of rocks than most American Christians are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He spent his entire day trying to beg people, and only his parents ended up buying them. He's got some for sale if you're looking. <laughs> spent his entire day doing that, and I thought, how many of us as followers of Jesus have the greatest news ever? That's what gospel means, good news, right? That Jesus was crucified for forgiveness, for atoning sacrifice for our sins, that no matter what we have done, we could be forgiven if we repent and turn to him. And when we do that, he, he changes our lives and we become the person he created us to be. And that he didn't just die on a cross, he rose from the grave that we celebrate on Easter Sunday, overcoming death itself, Christus Victor, that there is life after death and that you're never alone again. His Holy Spirit is with you when you invite him into your life. And then you spend eternity with God in heaven and the new creation, the new earth, the new heaven, the new earth come together for all of eternity. It's the greatest news ever. And we get the opportunity only this side of heaven, because when we get to heaven, everybody already knows it. It's only this side of heaven. We get to tell people that good news. And yet most of us will spend the majority of our Christian lives never talking to anyone about what the Lord has done. And it just breaks my heart. And I know it, it breaks yours as well. So it brings up the question, why is a five-year-old more excited about a box of rocks than we are about sharing the gospel? And I want to address some of the reasons that most of us never get to the point that the demoniac man got to where he wasn't just healed by the Lord, but then he was going to go and tell people about what he has done. And so here's some reasons why we don't go and tell. By the way, whenever you do a message and the titles have to do with negative things that we don't do, you could just lump on some shame and guilt. That's not the goal this morning. I want to acknowledge the reasons that we don't and call on the authority of Jesus to transform us in these areas. The first reason we don't go and tell about what the Lord has done in our life is we're still holding on to our past. You see, in this passage, look with me again in verse 14. It says, when the pigs... That those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town, in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. So they see him. They're expecting like the Incredible Hulk, and they got Bruce Banner, if you know what I'm talking about. He's dressing in his right mind. He's not ripping chains apart. He now has clothes, which, by the way, Pastor David did a phenomenal job last week sharing about the Jewish tradition, at least, the idea that Jesus on the boat coming over had a cushion that he was sleeping on. And was it the clerk did the man get these clothes that he's now dressed in in his right mind? Perhaps Jesus went over there expecting that this man's life was going to change and he brought the clothes and prepared for the next step. I think that some of you, you can't see beyond your current state, but the Lord sees you and what you could be the transformation that could come, and he's expecting it. And most of us, as Christians even, we think that the, the good news of the gospel is that uh, I was once a sinner, and I was like, you know, this little caterpillar, but I went into this cocoon where the Lord changed me, and I came out this beautiful butterfly. But the reality of the gospel is, is not that. Those are very similar things. That's a normal transformation that occurs in 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite verse in the entire Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And that new creation, I love what Pastor Rashad said, he's like, this ain't no paint job, right? There is a transformation that has occurred and that new creation that you read about in the Greek, literally, it is not like you went in and you were this caterpillar who was always gonna become this butterfly. It was like you went into the cocoon as a caterpillar and you came out a roaring lion, 
There is a complete and utter metaphysical life change that happens in our lives. That when people look at us, they think, what in the world happened? You know, I, I talk sometimes about when I first became a Christian. And I remember at that time when I went from like, I, I literally ran the, the poker matches in the house. Like we had a big, I was making a lot of money off of that, by the way. And we, uh, I, I helped throw the parties with some other guys in the house. And I went from that to starting a Bible study in the house. And I remember some of my friends were literally like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we kind of like the old you better. <laughs> if you change, like, then we can't do the same things together. And I don't like that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But when you have a life change because of Christ, people are going to begin to take notice. But if we're not willing to let go of our past and become the new creation God created us to be, we're never going to see the fulfillment of what the Lord could do with us in the short time that we have on this planet. It, I, look, I'm, I'm really serious about this. I think that most American Christians will never lead somebody to Christ because they were never fully changed by him to begin with. I don't mean to say that you're not a Christian or you're not going to heaven when you die. You don't have salvation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that like, if we haven't gotten to the point where we're going and telling people about what the Lord has done in us, it's not a, a shameful behavior attitude that we're not being obedient, that it may be true, but the reality is we don't have the identity transformation that naturally gets us out sharing the good news with people. In other words, if we were filled so much up with Christ in our lives, we couldn't hold it in. It would overflow into the people around us. So in my life, when I notice that I'm not growing or I'm plateauing in my faith and I can often look back and say, what, what, what has happened here? I have to examine myself and go, I don't have an obedience problem. I had an identity problem. I'm not close enough to Christ where this is just pouring out of me naturally. And so if you've never gone and told anybody, you don't need to feel guilty or shameful. And you may not be a natural evangelist. Ephesians 4, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You may have another long-term ministry, but if you've never gone and told anybody about what the Lord has done in your life, you have to wonder, what has the Lord really done in your life? Because it's demoniac man. He's not going to be able to keep it in. And when the people see him dressed in his right mind, they're like, wait a second, what happened to the old guy? We at least understood him. When you stop holding on to your past, God can finally begin to shape your future. When you stop holding on to your past, God can finally begin to shape your future. And some of us, we have... And the Apostle Paul talks about this. The old is gone, the new has come. And in the book of Romans, he also talks about that, that like uh, this death to self, that like this old self wants to creep back in and this pornographic addiction or this uh, the, the drugs and alcohol. And, and, and we live in guilt or shame that those things come back into our lives rather than acknowledging, okay, the Lord can forgive me and redeem me and make me new. I don't need to live in the shame and guilt of this. That's what the enemy wants. Instead, I'm going to let go of my past and take a step into the new creation that God desires me to be. And I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to need Christians to surround me and to help me to walk differently. I know this is what my marriage has looked like for the last 30 years, but I'm not going to live in the past anymore. I'm going to allow God to shape my future and believe that he can make me into the person that is a good husband or a good wife or a good father or a good mother, good grandparent. I'm telling you, the power of the gospel transforms lives and we will espouse anything online that our hearts desire, but we're so afraid to talk about the changing, uh, what happens in our lives when the gospel, the good news of Jesus transforms us. Because 
One, we don't let go of our past. And two, we're afraid of what people might say or do. We're going to say, oh, he's like one of those guys. She's one of those people. We're afraid of what it might mean to our social life, to our financial life. Look what happens here in verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of of what Jesus did. They're afraid that he took away their financial portfolio. 2,000 of their livestock went flying off a cliff because of this guy. They're not happy about it. And I got to imagine that the demoniac man still being there for the rest of his life, knowing that these people are going to associate that that was the guy we used to chain up. He's crazy. He's got these problems. And instead, he's going to be, end up being the one to go to them with the gospel. I can't wait till we see this. But, you know, I, I find that when people aren't happy that the life change that has happened in your life, sometimes, like I've shared my, my own friends or even... Um, we're still really close, but my own brother, my own brother, I remember when I first became a Christian, he, he was not happy about it. And, and I want to tell you that uh, that can happen in your life when the Lord begins to make changes. Don't be fearful of what other people think or say. Be fearful of God first. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? Turn to him. Allow the transformation to occur. That's what this man will do. And imagine what this man would have to endure for the rest of his life, knowing that he not only cost them their income, but for the rest of his life being associated with things he was associated with, having the scars on his body from where he had been chained up by these people. Knowing the things he had, the awful things he had said or even done in his life. He had to let go of that past, not worry about what other people are going to think or say, and become the person God created him to be. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man or humans will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The only thing we should fear is the Lord first and foremost. And God, God, by the way, was not surprised by the life change that this man had. And he's not going to be surprised that some of us in the room right now, when the future leaders of the faith, I said this at the last service, and I truly believe this, the great leaders of the Christian movement in the state of Indiana in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, most likely won't be me or Eric Maitland or other people that you see on a stage here. It will most likely be some of you in the room right now. If you just understood the value that the Lord has for you, the empowerment he has given you with the Holy Spirit, about he's entrusting you to go and transform the communities around us. And I'm hearing stories of people who are living sacrificially in a way that I can't even dream about and the impact it is having on people's lives, changing our communities, leading people to him. We had 103 people get baptized last year and it wasn't because of a person. It was because God is moving and he's using the body of Christ today. And we're not just inviting them to a worship service. We're inviting them to our dinner table. We're inviting them into conversation. We're inviting them into our lives. The power of the gospel is real. It is for today. And I want to tell you, can I pause just for a second? Because he's going to tell the man to go back to the Decapolis, which is the 10 cities which were not known for being God-fearing places. But it's what he was, that man would have been familiar with. And, and you have to believe that he's going to use him to transform those cities and communities. I believe we have a unique opportunity right now in the history of our church movement. One, uh, this, in a couple of weeks, we have Easter. And I always think Easter weekend is the number one weekend where culture is on our side. Say, so what do you mean by that? 
Well, most of your family and friends who hopefully you've already begun to talk about your faith with, the most uh, obvious time that they would come with you to a service would be Easter Sunday or Good Friday. Even more so than Christmas, because you always have like the dinners and presents opening and all that kind of family tradition stuff. And so there's nothing holding any of us back from going out to our neighbors and telling them about Jesus. We've offered five different services. I'm going to tell you, if you haven't RSVP'd at the the website, that card, you can just flip it over on the back. You hold your phone's camera up to it and it'll automatically take you to the link if you're lazy. And you could go there and you can RSVP. And I'm telling you that because I know that the, the second two services on Sunday... 10, 15, 11, 30, we're going to run out of chairs. And so we need you to RSVP quickly. And, and uh, the Saturday, by the way, those two services, we're doing some special things only for the Saturday crowd. Uh, first of all, everybody's going to get, the kids are going to get cookies that night, but also uh, Ben Glenn is going to be doing chalk art only on Saturday for those two services uh, in the kids' ministry. It's going to be an awesome time. So RSVP, because culture's on our side, your family or friends may actually know about Jesus because you're the only hands and feet of Jesus they may ever see. And and I'll tell you the third and final point that I want to get to as we're talking about uh, going and telling, inviting the Easter. In a moment, I'm going to talk about March for a Million and what we're doing tonight. But I think the third reason that we don't go and tell is because we don't listen to the voice of God to begin with. Hey, look, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to speak for myself. Um, There are times in my life where I know the Lord wants me to say something to someone, not do something that isn't good for me, to go and uh, you know, share this message with somebody or take that phone call or do that thing, and, and I choose not to. You ever done something like that? And in those moments, like you kind of feel guilty about it, but then you just do this thing where you just kind of forget about it. You, you kind of force it out and you just kind of like don't acknowledge it. And if you just avoid it long enough, you'll get jaded enough that you won't even realize it even existed in the first place. It's great. It's the American way. And instead, to listen to the voice of God and respond in obedience with what he's asking of us, this man is going to do that very thing. And I want you to understand how hard it would have been for this man to do what Jesus asked him to do in this passage. Look at verse 18 again with me. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Makes sense. Hey, you totally saved me. I used to be full of demons, harming myself, yelling obscenities at people, and chained up. Now none of those things are true. I want to hang out with you. That makes sense, right? And instead, Jesus tells him no. You're not going to go with me. Look, verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Time out. Let's remember his own people. These are the ones that chained him up. They gave up on him. They left him outside the city, screaming day and night. And Jesus has the audacity to say, Because of the work I have done in you, you go and tell other people about that work because their lives could change too. It's the type of grace and mercy that only comes with knowing Christ. And look what happens next here. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You talk about courage. Like some of us, we're afraid to like talk to our cousin about Jesus because we're going to go to that family reunion for three hours once a year. We're afraid what they're going to think. This guy goes around 
to the people that enchained him up, that were scared to death of him. And he goes around because he can't hold in what the Lord has done for him. And so what hits me is not that he goes and tells, but what the Lord must have transformed in him, that he even had the desire and the willingness and the courage to go and do it. And if we don't have the desire and the courage and the willingness, the reality is we probably don't have that desire that the Lord instilled in this man, where we are so thankful for what he has done for us. I remember when I first became a Christian, God had changed my life so much. I am not an emotional person at all. Like for a couple of months, for random reasons, I would just cry because I could not believe what God had done in, in my life. I felt like I was so far from him and I could never be used by him. And I had such guilt over the things of my past and to go, God can forgive me for that. God's not gonna hold that over my head for the rest of my life. And then he wants to use me. But you don't understand. Like, I know you're like, oh, dude, you're a pastor. Like, you don't, you don't get it. When, when I was in high school, I took like those tests that tell you what you're supposed to do in life. Number one for me, stockbroker. I was, man, I really missed the mark there. But number two, and this was in my social studies class with my high school basketball coach. He was a great guy. And number two was pastor. And I remember my coach and teacher looking at me and laughing and going, that ain't never going to happen. And I was like, you're totally right. That's never going to happen. And so like then to go, Lord, you want to use me? No way. No way. If God could use a demoniac man who had been chained up, yelling obscenities at people, harming his own body, what do you think he could do with you? And you think you're meaningless in the grand scheme of things. That's the enemy's thought process. The Lord's thought process is you were authored and created on purpose and for a purpose. He has meaning and purpose to your life. And, and you can escape to the drugs and the alcohol and the sexual addiction. And you can escape to the busyness of your work and the avoidance of things with your kids' sports events. And, and just try and get through the, some fun weekends in your life. And, and that could be your purpose. But when all is said and done and you are faced with the reality of our own mortality of human beings, you're going to think otherwise. And you're going to go, I missed out on all those years and decades where the Lord could have used me to minister to other people. But the enemy wants to tell you, you're not good enough. And you did that thing this week. We all know what you did. You did that thing this week and you should be ashamed of yourself. God could never love you. He could never use you. People like you just, you're not like those people that do ministry. No, you have missed the power and the authority of the gospel. We don't go and tell because we don't listen that the Lord is telling us, I love you, I've redeemed you, I have a purpose and plan, and I want to empower you to make an impact with your life. All you have to do is be obedient to that. But, but that guy had to have the courage to do it, which, by the way, isn't easy to face what people might say or people might think, to face your past and all of those sorts of things. It's not easy. This man would have had to go back to those very people that were scared to death of him to tell them about Jesus. Uh, the apostle Paul says this in the, the letter to the Philippians, verse uh, 23 of chapter one, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for the progress and join the faith. He says, I would rather just go and be with Jesus. I just rather get into the boat, right? As Christians, wouldn't you just rather, once you become a Christian, just hang out with Jesus? And like, if you really love him, like just have those monastic moments with him where you're separated from society because the world's going to hell in a hell basket, in a hand basket. I don't know what a hell basket is, but it's going there. <laughs> and instead to go, 
okay, I've been redeemed by the Lord and now I'm gonna go to those very people the Lord is calling me to. That takes that strength and courage. It's easier to get in the boat and just go to heaven. Have the courage this morning. That's why we're crying out tonight, six o'clock, marchformillion.com. It's not too late for you to register and even get a free t-shirt. The weather's supposed to be 60 and sunny tonight. If you're like, what in the world are you talking about? We are getting people together to pray at the circle in downtown Indianapolis. And we're going to enter from the four different directions on the circle. We're going to do about a half an hour uh, prayer walk beginning at six o'clock. You'll meet at the spot. You just go to marchformillion.com. You can figure by your last name where you start. And we're going to pray into the center. And then around 6.45 or 7, we're going to begin the outdoor worship event. And get this. So we... We've just seen time and time again the Lord's favor on this event, and we're not sure why. We were hoping to have a couple hundred people show up, and we'd do this annually just to pray. If we're going to reach a million people for Christ in our state, the family of churches, multiply Indiana and beyond, we're going to get together and pray. We, we have over 30 or 40 different churches coming together now. And what we found out, you know, we already had a week ago almost 700 people registered for the event, more coming in daily. Then the... Uh, basketball tournament. Apparently there's a basketball tournament downtown. The entire tournament got moved here to Indianapolis. And what we didn't know was the kind of the legality is that there are no other events could be going on downtown. But we found out this week, they actually approved our event and we will be the only event that I am aware of that is not related to basketball happening downtown today. And I want to tell you, I think something really cool and special is going to happen. We're going to be able to do baptisms on the circle as well. We didn't know that was going to happen. So uh, you're going to miss something special if you miss it tonight. Come out. I will tell you, 60 and sunny, I can't believe it, but also dress warm enough that if you're outside and the sun goes down for a couple of hours, you're going to be okay to be out there long enough. But we're going to pray and we're going to call on God. We're going to listen to his voice and we're going to be obedient to it. You say, I'm not one of those great evangelists. I can't really be used by God. You can do the great commission. Go therefore. Jesus said this, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You may not be able to do it, but he can. He doesn't need your great ability. He just needs faithfulness. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm convinced of this. We will never see God use us to go and tell and change other people's lives if we don't let the transformative work happen of going in as a caterpillar and coming out a roaring lion because the authority and power of Jesus Christ that transforms lives, not our great will. All we have to do is be faithful and obedient to what he's calling us to do, to listen to God's voice today and go and tell somebody about it. That's it. That's it. It's all we need to do. And as we close in prayer together, maybe the Lord places someone on your mind right now that you're a Christian and you know you need to talk to them about what God has done in your life. You don't need to make it weird. You know, I, you know people get into, oh, I gotta draw this or I gotta do this. Like, just go and tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's it. It's amazing what can happen when you do that. I believe when we do that, God can truly use us. I have failed the Lord so many times in my life. I've been disobedient and not listened to his voice. But I can tell you that there are churches in the state of Indiana today because my wife and I at least one time got it right, where God called us to move from California to Indiana, and we actually did it. And I don't share that to pat myself on the back. I want to tell you it's because of the power and authority of Jesus Christ that the Lord has done what he has done. And it's nothing 
that a human being has done or will do or could ever do. And, and, and because of that, there will be people spending eternity in heaven. And I have lots of things I'm embarrassed or ashamed of or where I've failed the Lord, but I am so thankful that I was obedient to him on that one thing. And if he is telling you something today, if you just fall in obedience, you think it's gonna bring bad things to your life. But actually, if you don't be obedient, you're gonna miss out on the best part of your life. And you're gonna get to heaven and you're gonna look back and you're gonna talk about the boat that you owned or the nice vacations. And you're gonna be looking at these people who are high-fiving the people in heaven that they got to know this side of heaven and that the Lord used them and redeemed them and transformed them and their lives around them. And he can use you. He doesn't need Billy Graham. He doesn't need people up here. He can use you to transform the people in this world, to lead people to Christ. And that's my heart for our church. Will you pray with me? God, I know right now, God, if he could, you could change the demoniac man and he could have the courage to go and tell other people of what you've done for him, that the person in here who has been struggling with porn addiction, who's been struggling with their marriage or raising their children or financial problems, who's been struggling with drugs and alcohol, that they could be somebody who could start the process of being changed, become the person you created to be, that they could go and tell. If you could use that man, you could use us. And so we surrender this morning our lives to you. If right now, if you have never given your whole life over to the Lord Jesus, you've known about him, but you've never surrendered everything in your life to him, I want you to give the opportunity to do it right now. Don't be ashamed of the good news for you today. Pray this with me. God, I confess I am not perfect. Forgive me for doing life without you. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness, and I surrender everything to the truth of your cross and resurrection. Use me, Lord Jesus. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.